This is part three of a group of messages that are, I'm calling Seated in the Heavens with Yeshua. In the point, if you haven't heard any of the previous ones, the last two messages I've been laying out kind of first love is really important in the last days and it's rooted in identity and it's you, the book of Ephesians is really talking about it, but I haven't gotten into the book of Ephesians. So I'm not going to spend a bunch of time telling you how first love is like what God's wanting us to get. I already said that. So hopefully you know that. And I want to start getting into the particulars of the book of Ephesians. Okay, so I'm um, just pray a little bit more. So I feel for some reason I feel nervous. So Jesus, I just thank you um, that you have seen these days from before time started, that you've seen where the, the body of Yeshua would be in these, these days, in this hour, that this isn't some unknown place that we're going, and it's not some unknown thing that you want to give us. You know better than I do what you want to release to each person and where they're at. So I just pray, would you do that? In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay. And I bind anxiety in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, thank you for peace. Okay. Item one, heaven is coming to earth. I'm noting the time. And that is great and terrible. The fact that heaven is coming to earth is great and terrible, and it is happening right now. You can know it's happening because of the tribulation. So tribulation is really just the earth's reaction to the change of the government of the earth. And when you see the people of the earth kind of losing it, and you see governments flailing, and you see people confused and dull, you see love growing cold, primarily love growing cold, and offense and betrayal, which you're seeing all over the world right now, that is tribulation. And if the, just imagine if the whole earth just agreed with Jesus' leadership, his coming wouldn't be trouble. There wouldn't be tribulation. There's tribulation because the earth doesn't really want to be led by somebody else. And so when we see that heaven's coming to earth, that's great, and that's terrible. And I'm not talking great for you and terrible for them. I'm talking it's great for you, and it's terrible for you. It's terrible for your flesh. Your flesh wars against the spirit. If the spirit's coming to lead the earth, your flesh is at war against that, and you have to decide, am I going to die to my flesh and live in heaven, or am I going to try to save my flesh and hope heaven's okay with that? And heaven is not okay with that. Heaven will not let the flesh lead in heaven, okay? So heaven is coming to earth. That's great for our spirit-led destiny. How many of you want your spirit-led destiny? How many of you like things the way they are right now? You're just like, I just hope things stay just this way right now forever. Like all the sickness, all the pain, all the death, all the trouble. How many of you are like, that's great. Nobody's raising their hand. How many of you are like, something's got to change? Yeah, so we want the spirit-led destiny. That's what, actually what we want, okay? So it's great for our spirit-led destiny, but it's terrible for our flesh, which must be killed because it leads us in fear, impatience, and doubt. That's the way that your flesh leads you, in fear and in impatience and in doubt. And right now, we're kind of in a struggle between our flesh trying to work out the things of God and yielding and letting the spirit work out the things of God. That's kind of with the place in the story of the Shulamite in the Song of Songs. There's a moment in time of the maturing of the bride of Christ. Now, I'm saying this real generally and universally because we know there's a pure and spotless bride emerging when Jesus returns. That means there's a process of her becoming pure and spotless. So we're kind of in this war altogether. Now, you individually are also in this war because you're not fully who you're going to be, but you're not who you were, right? You're not who you were, but you're not fully who you're going to be. So we're at the point in the story where a choice is necessary is kind of my point. Faith requires you pick which life you're going to live right now, and then in faith, 
begin making choices, vision choices, time choices, money, strength choices into something the world can't see. You actually have to at some point choose that you're going to do things that people around you would say are crazy with the things most valuable to you and to the world. You're going to have to. So most of us imagine when we read the book of Revelation, we imagine that moment in time, like just picture Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's being told by Jesus what's going to happen. And he's imagining this moment in time where he and Jesus are going to resist the forces of evil, and we're going, I'm ready to die with you. But Peter wasn't imagining it rightly, right? So we actually have to, to understand we're never going to pick that if we don't pick today to start finding our identity in the heavenly realm, to start finding actually our home in heaven with Jesus. Now, there's a new Jerusalem, and Jesus is gone. He's actually prepared a literal physical place for you to dwell, a place for you to live. And if you're, like, looking at your house, and you're not looking at that house, you're going to make choices to preserve your house. Do you see what I'm saying? If you're looking at that house, now, when Sam and I, when we started to travel to Jerusalem back and forth, I'm like, you know, it's hard. It's hard to leave my house and go there. I don't know, God. Like, are you calling us there permanently? Are you calling us to go back and forth? And he said, Tom, read the Bible. I'm calling you to live in Jerusalem. Everybody in this room is called to live in Jerusalem. That's where all the saints are going to live. And so if you're not actually picturing, now I'm not saying that you need a house on Ben Yehuda Street or an apartment like, like we're going to go to. I'm saying you have to know when the new Jerusalem comes down, what does your house, like what does it need in it? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Is that where you're imagining your future? If I told you, you know, at, you just won the, you know, the home and garden sweepstakes and there's a house for you 20 miles north of here, wouldn't you start imagining, okay, when do I get to move there? Like what am I going to put in there? Like is it nicer than my house now? Like Mostly we have this disconnect. We're not actually living in heaven. We're mostly living on earth and hoping Jesus will kind of come and fix the stuff all around us. But he's not going to do that. He's going to actually baptize this place with fire. And he's trying to get us off of it before he does that. He actually wants us to come up and live with him in heaven. Now, faith requires you pick which of these you're going to do and then start making actual practical choices into what you pick. Hebrews 11, 6 to 10. But without faith... It's impossible to please him. So if you're not making choices based on things you're not sure of, but you're pretty sure he wants you to do, and you're in a conversation with him hearing him, you're actually not pleasing him. He's, he's calling us to take risks with our time, money, and mostly our vision. Everybody say vision. Mostly what we spend our time imagining our future life being like, okay? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah. Everybody say Noah. Now, you're going you're gonna to see there's a contrast here. Noah did. Abraham waited. Okay? But they're both operating by faith. So this isn't a, if you're in faith, you're going to go sell your house, do this, do that. That's not what this message is. This is, a, if you're in faith, you're going to do things that you wouldn't do. Do you see what I'm saying? Now listen, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Those are all things that he did. Do you see what I'm saying? 
By faith, Abraham obeyed. Now, that's something he did. When he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as, a foreign, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Do you see? These are two guys operating in the same Holy Spirit, both in times that needed something done. And one built and took chances and didn't do what everybody else was doing and actually was active. And the other did the same thing, but it looked passive. Do you see what I'm saying? So you have to know what is God calling you to do to start investing your life in the heavenly realm? What is he asking you to do? What is he actually asking you to do with your money to invest your life in the heavenly realm? This isn't a store your treasure in heaven. That means give your money to the church. That's, this is not the message I'm talking about. He might be telling you, stop buying stuff. What you're buying is actually holding you here. Stop imagining that the thing that's going to make you happy is the car or the job or the wife or whatever it is. Start actually investing in what are you going to live with for billions of years. Maybe it's that you're doing too much here that's actually tying you more to here. Maybe it's that you're not doing enough there. It's actually, you're not getting tied to there, you know, because you can kind of get neutral and just give up. You don't want to give up. God made you to not give up. So you've got to decide, where, where am I going to start building my life? I mean, it's all the songs, all the worship, all the prophetic words. The message has already been preached in this room. I'm just going to tie some things together, okay? Now, it isn't doing... And it isn't waiting. It's obeying in faith at the cost of this current life. So if, it, if you're obeying God isn't costing you something here, it's not actually offering him anything. It's about you. If obeying God is costing you something here, then you're actually doing what everybody else in the Bible did, and you're obeying him. Do you see what I'm saying? And you can, you're supposed to actually measure it this way. David, when Aruna David the threshing floor, David said, no, I don't want to give God anything that doesn't cost me something. So when, you, when God calls you to the next thing, and you're like, but that's going to cost me. That should be like, ding, oh, right, that's, that's how, kind of how I know it's right. Now, you can do this wrong, though. You could be like, how do I cost myself things? God will like that. That's called lawlessness. You have to actually let it be God's idea and not yours. What's it going to cost you? Because if you don't, if you just start to search your own house for what you're going to give God, you'll give him things that actually aren't that valuable. You'll actually make, you'll, you'll make compromises in trying to give him things that he actually doesn't want, like Cain. You actually want to be like Abel. You want to be his idea what it's going to cost you. That's painful. What I'm telling you is it's costly, for real. Now, heaven is overtaking earth, and the result is tribulation. If we see our lives here, then tribulation, the trouble of Jesus' coming, will sweep us out of the kingdom as we try to save our current life, our current family, our current reputation, our current money, our current status, and our current authority. If you become the chicken little saying the thing that nobody else can see, it will cost you your reputation. Now, I don't know that's, that's what God's calling you to do, but he's been calling me to do it for like 10 years, 15 years. But I'll tell you, I have more credibility with the people I was afraid of losing their confidence I have more credibility with them. I have less credibility with the church in some ways, but more credibility with, actually, I was mostly worried about my clients thinking I was nuts and not hiring me. But the truth is, I have much more credibility with my clients. It's, it, it just doesn't work the way that you think it's going to is kind of the point, okay? God knows what he's doing. 
So if we see our lives here, then tribulation, if we see our lives here, then tribulation will sweep us out of the kingdom as we try to save our current life, family, reputation, money, status, authority. This is true in all areas. I just gave you a tiny example of my status or, or my reputation. But this is true with your family. A lot of people think if I go hard after God like that, I'm going to lose my kids. The truth is you're going to lose your kids if you don't go hard after God like that. You will. You want to give your kids something to live into, something to follow. Truth, truth, same thing with money. If I risk my money, I might lose it. If you don't, you will, guaranteed. You're not taking it with you, either place. You're not taking it with you, either place. So 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now I say then, brethren, that flood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nothing of the flesh, nothing that is not resurrected and redeemed by him can inherit the kingdom of God. There's literally nothing from here that can go there that he doesn't first touch and redeem. It all has to be. That's why all creation is groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. Even creation knows this. Even the oceans know this. The trees know this. The birds know this. It's why they're singing. Everything has to be touched in order to live in his infinite, perfect beauty and glory. Okay? Satan is warring against us by inspiring reasonable doubts about how this will go for us to not respond. Thank you very much. I will switch it if it does it again. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm going to say this one more time. Satan is warring against us right now in this room. Do you know there are demons warring against you in church? Do you know that demons mostly target church meetings? Because they have to. Like they can't play man-to-man defense. There's twice as many angels with God as there are with Satan. And God actually wants us to figure out what we really want. So when you hear spiritual truths, there's an assignment to, to, for you to decide, do you really want that? I mean, God let Satan touch Job because Job was righteous. It says that God tests the righteous. So we have to understand that there's a war right now, and it's not a war against people aren't trying to do this to you. Satan is trying to do this. He's trying to put reasonable doubts in your mind about how you being the, the picture of you all in for Jesus at the time of his return Most people are waiting for some event out there to happen so they can really step into that person they always know they're going to be someday. But if you do that, you will fail. That's not faith. That's waiting for something you can see. So you have to understand the reasonable doubts are unreasonable. If you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, you've seen all these things God's done, you see all these things in the world, you actually have to start saying, how long long until I give up everything but pursuing this man with everything? And we don't. We don't. You can, you can do that to your standard and think, I'm doing everything I can, but you can't do it to his standard. It actually takes yielding everything you can to get there, okay? John 12, 42 to 43. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Many of the Pharisees believed Jesus. They knew he was the Messiah. They saw the things he did. Some of them came to him at night. They knew that he was the Messiah, but they did not follow him. Listen. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They're kind of waiting for a bunch of other people to see that was Jesus too. But it never happened. Do you see this? It never happened. And so the guilt of his death, it rests on them. Because they knew. Do you know God will hold them more accountable than he would the people that didn't know? Because they claimed they could see, and they could see. Can you see Jesus is returning? Raise your hand if you can see Jesus is returning right now then you are actually obligated to an all-in, how do I get out of this life here? All-in, because you can see it. 
right? He's going to hold you accountable. If you're waiting for everybody else to see it, so it's more socially acceptable to do crazy things or the things you wouldn't do. Crazy things is not the right way to say it. Things you wouldn't do. Well, then you actually have a problem. And this is what this, is what this part of Ephesians we're about to jump into is going to address, okay? For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Faith takes the weight off of the flesh and puts it on God. I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, read that one more time. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. This is John 12, 42 to 43. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Put out of church. He was the one that the whole synagogue was the point of, right? For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They actually wanted to look respectable to people more than they wanted to look respectable to God. Faith takes the weight off of the flesh and puts it on God. We have to know who we are so we can be confident that we can afford to resist Satan in the spirit. Love casts out fear. Fear is a snare that causes us to respond to Satan. We actually are not supposed to respond to Satan in fear. Now, if you thought Satan was like in your bedroom, you might think the first thing that's going to happen to me is I'm going to get afraid of that. That's the goal. You actually have to be a person that sees how greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I don't, I don't need to respond to Satan. I need to respond to God. When Satan accuses you, you respond to God, right? That's what Jesus did. When the, Satan accused Jesus, he said, it's written, right? So we actually want to be a people that when Satan comes and threatens us, you know, if you do that, this is going to happen. Or if you really make this choice, that's going to happen. We're like, God, is that true? Is that what's going to happen? And we have to respond to the war in the spirit, okay? Now, if we see our lives with Jesus and have confidence that he sees us and is connected to our choices, then heaven coming to earth is good for our future. That means that we'd, we'd actually embrace tribulation. We wouldn't be looking for ways to stop tribulation. We would not want the trouble to stop. We'd actually say, There's, this baby's being born only one way. I want the labor to take place and be done. We just had a, a niece of ours give birth, and Sam was like, she is so ready to have a baby. It's uncomfortable. Like, I, if Sam was like, she's feeling empathy for her because she's like, I want to see her have that baby. I mean, really what Sam was saying is, I want to see her go through a bunch of labor and pain. But that's not the way Sam was thinking about it, right? She was thinking about it like, I want her to stop having to carry this uncomfortable burden, and it's going to happen one way or the other, and I want her to get the glory of what she's been carrying for 10 months. Like, do you see the trouble this way? Do you see the wars, the rumors of war, the famine, the starvation? Do you see the money stuff, your money stuff, this way? Do you see your personal relationship trouble this way? Or are you like, it's just got to stop. It's got to stop. It's not going to stop. You're going to become more and go through it, or it's going to become more and stop you. Which one do you want? Do you want the life there, or do you want the life here? Because if you're trying to save the life here, you're going to lose it for sure. But if you're willing to lose the life here, you will find the life there. You will. It's, that's a Bible verse. I just quoted you. Okay. Ephesians 1, 1 to 10. Okay. So finally, Tom is going to start reading from the book of Ephesians in, a, in an intentional and clear way. Paul. Everybody say Paul. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. An apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who were in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, he's writing to people that he considers faithful. He's going to say some hard things to them, but he's saying it to them because he considers them faithful. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Now, it's interesting. Paul starts talking about who he is, an apostle of Jesus Christ, but then he's plural from here on out, okay? 
has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined, everybody say predestined, us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, I'm reading you words that sound poetic, they sound beautiful, they sound holy, and each one of these is packed with meaning. I'm giving you a menu, like David said. If you want to know how to do the things we've been talking about, you have got to start unpacking these words. Like, what is, wait a second. What does that mean to the praise of the glory of his grace? What does that mean? Who gets the credit in the praise of the glory of his grace? He does. If he gets the credit, that means he did the work. Do you see what I'm saying? So you have to, like, be, okay, that sounds, like, fancy cool, but what does it mean? What does it mean? And grace, defined by the Bible in the Holy Spirit, is power to do. Grace is power to do. It comes from God, okay? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. There we see grace again. You're going to see grace all throughout the book of Ephesians. So if you hear Ephesians and you're like, I got to do something different, you are not hearing Ephesians. If you're hearing Ephesians, you say, I got to get more. I got to get more from God. Then you're hearing Ephesians right. If you hear Ephesians, you're like, I got to do some different stuff. You are rejecting Ephesians because your flesh won't yield. If you hear Ephesians, you're like, I got to get some of this great stuff that God's already given to me. Then you're hearing it right. So in the New King James, actually, the the description of the book of Ephesians is Paul writes this letter to a bunch of people who are wealthy beyond belief but live as beggars. They live like they have nothing. This is true. Like, you mind it out, you'll see this is exactly what Paul's trying to say. So if you're like, man, this perfect love that casts out fear, I've I've not been walking in love. I got it. I got to get more. I got to become more loving. I'm going to look for chances to be more loving. Your flesh just took you off of the highway. If you're like, yeah, I do actually desperately need this love, but it's already been given to me. What, where's the disconnect? Why am I not living in the overflow of this love? God, is there something you could show me, release to me, create in me that would make it blossom? Then you're starting to hear it right. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's not about doing nothing, and it's not about doing everything. It's about what is God trying to give you, okay? That's what Noah and Abraham both found. God was trying to give Noah what? A boat. God was trying to give Abraham what? A family, a nation, a place, right? Now we have to, uh, having made known, to, he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth in him. So this is what Jesus is doing right now. He's trying to gather together all things in the earth to all things in heaven. And he actually has a process and a standard by which he requires that gathering and that joining together happen. And everything that doesn't want his leadership is rejected. So he's going to take things from earth, from his kingdom, and he's going to get rid of the tears. He's going to get rid of everything unfruitful. He's going to spit it out. He's going to remove its lampstand. He's going to you know, any way you want to think about it. So right now we have to be like, okay, if you're really joining heaven and earth together, like, am I in heaven to the point where I'm going to go there? 
Am I living there to the point that I actually qualify to go there? Or am I hoping someday I'll do that, and when that day happens, I'm ready to die with you, Jesus, but I got some stuff here on the earth to take care of. I'm describing you. And if you keep that attitude, you will not go there. He sent me to tell you this. If you keep this attitude, you will not go there. Most of your frustrations, most of your concerns, most of your disappointments are related to that, not that. That's not disappointing you. That's not frustrating you. That's not ruining your life. This is. Do you see what I'm saying? And you have to decide, I don't want this anymore. Now, everybody you read about in Hebrews 11, that's what they decided. And if you want to be added to that great cloud of witnesses, you do too. But you live in America. The land of possibility, that means the land of anchors, the land trying to keep you here, the land of selfishness, the land of personal responsibility, the land of pull you up by your bootstraps, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You are fighting an intense war to die to your life here. And I'm telling you, it's not the same everywhere. It's not the same everywhere. There are many places it's much easier to do what this is saying. You're living in a place that's very difficult to do what this says. Very difficult. You might be like, this is the easiest place to be a Christian. No, it is not. This is one of the most difficult places to be a Christian. It lulls you to death. It distracts you to unholiness, unrighteousness. And just by gauging it by other people distracting unrighteous and unholiness, you're thinking, well, I guess I'm, I'm holier than the people that I know. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a false standard designed to keep you trapped. You actually have to break free. This is, he's telling us how to break free. You can't break free. You were born in a, in a storm of confusion because of where you live. That's not just you. He writes this book to Ephesus because the same thing is true for her. You have to actually get out of it into the heavenly realm. If you'll go there, he'll show you things that are much more glorious than what you think you're trying to save here. He really will. And you know this because you've done this in some ways. Now, we have to read the Bible through the lens of the Spirit. Otherwise, we'll interpret its humility as arrogance and take its invitations for granted. You just try to read these words and make sense of them. You'll see really humble things. You'll think they'll sound arrogant to you. And then you'll hear these glorious promises that can only be gotten by responding to them. And you'll think, those are mine already. You have to hear it by the Spirit, okay? Now, you're already hearing, if you're, if you're not repenting, you're already hearing it this, the way that I just described. It's not good to hear it that way. Ephesians 1 uses the term predestined two times and reinforces the idea of a guaranteed destiny for those that respond through the entire chapter. So that when you see predestined, he's saying the rest of the stuff I'm about to describe, if you just say yes to God's leadership, it's yours. It's guaranteed. You don't have to wonder if it's yours. It is yours. You're not on some like, hey, I'll just see how they do with righteousness. No, if you say yes to him, he will make you righteous. But will you say yes to him at the cost of your flesh and at the cost of your life here? That's the question. What's your line? How far are you willing to go before everybody else is willing to go with you? You see, this is a Babylonian problem. The people in Babylon that were saying, let us build a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us have one language and one speech. They could have done that by themselves. They didn't want to. They wanted to get the whole group together to do something. Are you willing to go into the things that God is calling you to, even if other people don't, even if the people you think should hate you? Are you willing to go into the things God's calling you to? And what are the things I'm describing? Forgiveness. Loving your enemies, giving your money away, 
spending your time actually talking to God corporately, making space for other people to do that. Are you willing to do that even if nobody else is willing to? Even if the people that should be willing to are resisting you, are you willing to do that? That's the choice that he's talking about here, okay? So that predestination is there are some people that are willing to do that, and the, the result is guaranteed. It's not a question of if it will work out. It will work out if you're willing to do that. If you're willing to say, I'll go even if no one else goes, I guarantee you you'll find other people there. I guarantee you it will be glorious guarantee you you will become holy and righteous and i guarantee you'll win the war ephesians 6 against the devil but if you're waiting for everybody else to go there with you and for the people that are resisting you to stop resisting and for everybody to get it together you not only will you not get it but you'll resist other people that are getting it and so we want to be a people that we just believe in this predestination it will work guaranteed okay that's the predestination it's talking about for people that choose it not predestined to choose it There's a predestination for those who do choose it. You still have to make the choice. Do you see what I'm saying? It's different than the way predestination is often taught. Okay, so we're not set free to see how we do in life. There is no chance, fate, or luck in life. None. God is sovereign. He hasn't left. He says not one sparrow falls to the ground without his permission. There's no accidental death. There's no, oh, that one got by God. There's no, oh, the devil won that one. None of that. And the book of Job is clear about this. There's just people that agree with the redemption of man's soul and people that don't. That's really all there is. We are predestined only if we die to our life and let God lead us in truth. Ephesians 1 is an appeal to people who are rich beyond measure in their heavenly identity to stop living as though they are poor and alone because of earthly circumstance. God wants the weight of your future on him. Now, how many of you have disappointing earthly circumstances? Just any, just search through your, through your life. Have you ever had any disappointing earthly circumstances? Of course you have. Good. We're all on the same page. Great. We don't need to be adjusted. We need to be resurrected. We don't, we're, we don't need God to just fix this one wrong thing that we're thinking or these five wrong things that we're thinking. Or if I could just get rid of this or if I could just get rid of that, then I'll be okay. No, we got to die. He actually needs to kill our flesh, the way we think, the way we feel, and what we want to do. He's not trying to clean you up and make you better. He's actually trying to get you to yield your leadership to him, what Noah was talking about during the worship. The flesh is slippery in how it tries to stay its execution. It wants to offer something less than itself in an attempt to live a little longer while still in the presence of the king. I'm all yours. I'm, this is what Peter was doing in Gethsemane. I just don't want to die to my identity as the guy who stayed faithful to Jesus. If you're going to be the guy that stayed faithful to Jesus without dying to yourself and all your strength, then you're not the guy that stayed faithful. You see, your flesh will turn you around because you're looking at a life here in front of people, not a life there in front of God. You start living a life there in front of God, he does not compromise what these things mean. He's not impressed with human strength. He's not impressed with our self-help or our self-effort. He actually is, everyone that sees God falls down like a dead man and says, I'm unclean. You see what I'm saying? So if you're really living your life there, you're like, I'm unclean. Okay. Not in a condemnation way, in a, wow, he really wants to do something with me. Okay. So the flesh is very slippery. The less is always, like the less we want to give him is always self-effort and the frustration and reaction that comes from its failure. You'll always be frustrated trying to do something for God because you're never going to do something good enough for God, ever. You will never do something good enough for God. Some of us have lived long enough to finally settle that. 
Some of us haven't, but you're never going to do something amazing for God. He's going to do something amazing for you, right? He wants to build the house, not you. Okay? So rather than tell Ephesus how to get better, Paul, by the Spirit, sets a vision of who Ephesus is already in her true home. If she could live there, she will become this is the point. If you can live in the place he's talking about, you will become the things he's describing because you behold and become according to 2 Corinthians 3, 18. But if you can't be there, if you can't live your life there, you will not, no matter how hard you try, you will not become the things that are described as necessary to win the war coming upon the whole earth. Okay? This is so important. I, I couldn't emphasize any more how important this is. So rather than tell Ephesus how to get better, Paul, by the Spirit, sets a vision of who she is in her true home if she would go there. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, doesn't that sound so beautiful? Yes. Blessing in Jesus in heaven. Woo! Do you know what this is saying? All your heavenly blessings are in heaven. Your heavenly blessing is not in your family. Your heavenly blessing is not in your work. Your heavenly blessing is not in your money. It's not on earth. So if you're like, God, bless me. I'm praying, but you're not blessing me. He'd say, come up. Your heavenly blessing is in heaven. And if you'll seek first the kingdom, all the rest is going to be okay. It will be added to you in the right measure, in the right timing. But don't look for your blessing here and judge his righteousness when you won't go live with him. You got to go live with him. Do you see what I'm saying? This is so important. So when we read this, he's telling us who we are if we'll come live there. This is about first love. If we'll go there, we'll be like, why was I so worried about all the things people were doing and all the things I wasn't? And I forgot. He saved me. And he's saving me as long as I will fully die to this life. I'll let the dead bury the dead, and I'm going to go with him. Do you see what I'm saying? This makes me so excited, so I get a little bit animated. Your blessing isn't found in your marriage, your family, or your church. It isn't in your bank account or at the job. Your blessing isn't at the beach or in the woods or your backyard. It's in the heavenly places. If you're like, I feel God so good when I'm in the woods, you've got a problem. You have a problem. Now, I'm not saying that it's not good to go in the woods and meet with God. What I'm saying is you've got to be able to come up to where he is. You can't pull him down into the woods and think you're going to be okay. That's circumstantial. You should be able to be in a prison, in a shipwreck, in a beating, chains on you, lashed, scourged on a cross, and be with him. Do you see what I'm saying? We have an American construct of spirituality that is a cult, mostly a cult. And so is the rest of the world throughout history, because the flesh is warring against the spirit. So we got to be like, okay, God, what is it going to take for me to feel great about my life when they're persecuting me and hating me and spitting on me and taking my stuff away? What is it going to make for me to what is it going to take for me to stand firm on what you've given me when people try to take it from me? And what are you trying to give me exactly? What are what is he trying to give you exactly? You got to know. You got to know where do you live? Where do you dwell? What's the reason for your hope? This is breaking. What's the reason for your hope? Well, I'm hoping he's going to make he's going to take me safely through this, me and my stuff. No, he's going to destroy it on purpose. Your hope is that you have a home that Yeshua is building for you in heaven. He wouldn't say it if he wasn't doing it. And are you living there? I want to tell you the faithful persecuted church throughout history, that's what they do. 
That's why they're willing to be sawn in two or deprived of their rights and still not deny him because no one can take that from them. He's, he's designed to destroy the works of the flesh. It's in his design. That's what he will do. Guaranteed, it's predestined. And that's good if you want to live in heaven. If you want to know why our life is lacking the grace to overcome fear, shame, doubt, uncertainty, and anxiety, and then all the sin that that breeds. Okay, so I want to say that again. And it's easy to hear this and think about yourself and woe is me. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the sins that we commit against God. If we want to know why our life is lacking the grace, the power to overcome fear, shame, doubt, uncertainty, and anxiety, and then all the sin that that rebellion breeds, it's because we look for the blessing of God in the wrong places. We're like, it should have worked out better. It couldn't work out better. If you could live in heaven, it could not work out better. Right now, seraphim are circling him, crying, holy, holy, holy. Elders are casting down crowns. There's 10,000 times that's a hundred million ministers of flame. It's their turn this hour to worship spirit and the truth. And then they go out and they want to get back in. It couldn't work any better than it's working right now. Yeshua is seated on a throne of Sapphire next to his father waiting for a kingdom. It could not work out any better than it's working out right now. He descended to the lowest parts of the earth. He ascended. He gave gifts to men. It could not work out any better than it's working out right now. This plan works. You are predestined for glory and greatness if you will live there. But if you won't live there, you will never see it. You will never see it. You will never make choices in your life to go there. You have to actually say, this world has nothing for me. About your kids. About your wife. About your church. Now, if you do this, you will find this life actually has quite a bit for you. Because you're seated in the heavenly places with Yeshua. Because you're not trying to save this. You're letting him save you. You will actually drag all this with you if it's willing. If it's willing to look at the witness of a person being saved. If your kids are willing to witness you giving everything to him and it working out great for you, they will do it too. But if you're here trying to save your kids and not going there, both of you have a very little chance of living. You see what I'm saying? This world has nothing for us. And the best thing we could do is show the world there's something better. We could mix a cup double in the heavenly realm. Give the world something to want. Give the world something to want. Okay, now, I tie this to the Song of Songs. And we studied the Song of Songs here back in 2018. And there's a point in the Song of Songs So the Song of Songs, just the Cliff Notes version, it's a story about the progression of the church from the seven divided spotted churches in Song of Songs 1 all the way to Song of Songs uh, 8 where she's mature and checking on the harvest. So there's a progression the church is going through. There's also a progression of your experience with Jesus that you're going through. And these these parallel each other, okay? So this is important to understand. This is about the church, but it's also about you. Okay, so in the Song of Songs, Yeshua is Solomon. He's, he's the, the groom. He invites the Shulamite, who is you, the, the bride-to-be, to do something with him. And she says no. Okay, and that's the first part. Song of Songs 2, 13 to 17. The fig tree puts forth her green figs. Holy Spirit, help us to grab onto this. This is really important. I'm not, we're not wasting your time. And the vines, vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Now, I want you to think about what you're frustrated about right now. 
I actually want you to think about where you need God. Where do you need God in your life right now? You know, actually, within a couple of seconds, I need God right here, right now. Like, this is the thing you've been worried about all week. It's the thing you've been complaining about to other people or even just in the, the internal conversation with yourself. If people ask you, do you need prayer? This is what you say, yes, I need prayer for this about, okay? I want you to think about this. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff, let me see your face. So the, the groom is saying, I want to see you here in this place, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. I want to hear your voice there. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch us the foxes. So he says, rise up. Let's go to this place together because I want to see you there. I want to see you in this reality. Like this pleases me. The groom's saying, this pleases me. Jesus would say this. Come with me. Let's go to this place that I'm talking about. I want to see what you sound like there. I want to see what you look like there. Okay? Now this, this is a scary place to her. And her brothers come along and say, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. They give her something else to do. And then she says this. She resists the, the, the brother. She says, my beloved is mine, and I am his. Oh, that sounds good. Yes. He feeds his flock among the lilies. This is where he's at. I know where he, I know where he hangs out. I know what he's doing. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, until it's less scary, turn away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag upon the mountains of Bethlehem. You go. You go. Until it's not so scary. I'll come when it's not so scary. That's what she's saying. You get it? Now, she wakes up. He does. He, he actually does what she wants. He leaves her, and he goes on without her. And she wakes up in the night. It's even scarier at dark. And she says, by night on my bed, I sought the one I love. She's looking for him, but not where he, she knows he is and where he told her he wanted to see her. He's in her bed. She's like, I don't want to move. I'm just, where is he at? He, I didn't find him. He says, I sought him. I sought, on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. Well, of course not. Why? Because he's not there, right? I'll rise now, I said, and go about the city. Why does she go to the city? It's less scary than the cliffs and the rocks and the desolate place all by herself with him. She's like, I'll rise. I'll go to the city. I couldn't find him laying on my bed. He's not here. Now I want you to think about your life in Jesus right now, like right now. Are you laying on your bed like, I can't find him. And he's like, I told you where I'm at. I'm going to wait for you in this truth. I'm not going to come to watch you die. I want you to come to watch me live. all right, I'll do this. I'll go to the city. This is what I can offer him. I'll go where everybody else is. I'll get out of bed. I'll go where everyone else is. And she's like, I can't find him. Where is he at? Exactly where he told her. He's in the high places, the scary place she didn't want to go. Where it could mean the death of her life. But he's like, you're going to die if you don't go. Because I came to do something with you. You're predestined to be safe with the king. You're predestined to be safe with the one who made you, with the one who's shaking everything. You're predestined to be safe going into the holiness first, if nobody else does. Going into the risk first. Going into letting all this go first. Before everybody says it's time. We're all going to lose our houses together. We're not all going to lose our houses together, I guarantee it. We're not all going to be prevented from going to church together. 
We're not all going to lose everything together. It's, it's not in the Bible that way. That's not the story the Bible is telling. It's telling the story of you picking to die to yourself in the areas God's leading you so you can be found together when you said yes to him. Now, primarily, forgiving your enemies. Not waiting for your enemies to be forgivable. Loving those who curse you. Praying for those who spitefully use you. Giving your money away. Not trying to get everybody else to give their money with you away. Not looking for a collective way to be generous. This is only going down one way. And it's going down right now. And that's what Paul's trying to tell the, the church in Ephesus. I've got about 10 more minutes. We're going to jump back into that. So if we want to be with him, we need to go where he is and to be in what he's doing. The Shulamite, or our sincere desire, is not the same as obedience. To look for God on our terms is actually rebellion. It's not love. It's not love to look for God as much as we can. It's love to let God tell us what to do and then tell him how we can't. Do you see what I'm saying? This isn't a do message. This is a receive message. If your flesh starts accusing you, there's a de- there's, there are demons literally in this room trying to tell you, you got to do some stuff different. That's not what I'm saying. You got to get some stuff from God. You got to receive a vision from God. You've got to feel loved in the throne room with your eyes closed and your heart wide open. You've got to believe things that are faint and hard to see because he said them and they're good, they're glorious, they're helpful, they're hopeful. You actually, you'll know it when what comes out of your mouth is hopeful. When what comes out of your mouth is love. When what comes out of your mouth is faith. That's how you know I'm living in the place where faith, hope, and love abide. That's how you know, because your mouth is revealing whatever your heart is full of, and your heart is full of whatever you're feeding on. And we're not there, but we can be, not because we grit our teeth and try to say good things, because we say, God, my mouth is full of doubt. It's full of anger. It's full of fear. It's full of disappointment. That's not okay. I'm not going to sit here waiting on my bed for you to change that. I'm going to go where you said to go, and I'm going to change my confession. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to live in faith. I'm going to dwell in the heavenlies. My life is there. It's not here. Now, you've heard people do this before. One of the people I've heard do it the best is Mary that we're about to celebrate at the graveside service. Her life was, I just never saw her life here. I always saw her life there. Because that's all she talked about. We've been given really great examples of this, actually. Are we willing to say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care if they think my head's in the clouds. I don't care if I look irresponsible to people of the earth. I don't care if my kids think I'm irresponsible. I don't care if my kids think I don't love them. I do love them. That's why I'm willing to go follow this man. I'm going to follow him. You'll lose all your rights here if you do this. Now, when I come to God with a closed heart and ask him to adjust my thinking, that sounds good to people. It doesn't carry any power. He's not going to adjust my thinking. God enjoys my sincere desire to be good, but he only works with my humility. I have to come to God and say, God, kill my thinking. Don't adjust it. Kill it. Why do I trust things that I think when I don't even know? Why do I have an opinion about things? I don't even understand how they work. This is what Job experienced, right? Job had so many great arguments. God's like, he's right. But when Job met God, he's like, I'm sorry I said anything at all. I mean, God said he's right. But Job's like, I wish I hadn't said a thing. 
This is, this is, the, this is why God did the, This is what made Job such a righteous servant. That when confronted with the truth, he's like, none of my opinions matter. Even if God says they matter, I don't want them. God, I spoke about things I don't know. When you're voicing doubt, when you're voicing fear, when you're voicing jealousy, shame, condemnation, you're talking about stuff, A, you don't know, and you're not talking about the way God does. You're not talking about the way God does. How does God talk about it? How does God talk about this church? How does God talk about your family? How does he talk about his bride in the earth right now? How does he talk about the nations? Have you ever heard how God talks about the nations? He's going to destroy them all. There won't be any Gentile power left when he's done. None. So if you're like, I'm with God, and this political party, is that's the right one. That's not how God talks about the nations. I've never seen that in the Bible. I've never seen God pick a political party and be like, yeah, follow those guys. We have to be a people that believe God. We have to be. Now, Deuteronomy 8.16. This is what God says to Israel. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna? What's the answer to this question? Who fed them in the wilderness? God did. Which your fathers did not know. They didn't know how to make you manna. That he might humble you, that he might test you to do good in the end. Are you living on manna right now? Do you just have enough for today? If you've got enough for today, that was God, not you. <laughs> and will it, you let it humble you, or is your life here and you feel like he's a hard man? Will you let it humble you that you're living on man? And that might, might, might not be your food, and it might not be your money. It might be the amount of forgiveness you have for today. It might be just enough to stay in it again today. That manna is supposed to humble you. Let yourself be humbled. Because he will not work with your sincere desire. He will work with your humil- humble obedience. Let yourself be humbled. There's tons of people in hell that are mad at God because they had sincere desire and he didn't do the thing they wanted him to do. And he's saying, I never knew you. Yes, you prophesied, cast out demons, did many wonders in my name, but I never knew you. You didn't humble yourself and get what I was trying to give you. Okay? That's what he was doing in the desert with Israel. He was feeding them day by day by day, and they complained rather than be thankful. That's what he's saying. Now, who are you and who are those around you? I did mark the time. Just I want you to be confident. That's why I said it before I started talking. Paul isn't asserting his authority or position in Ephesians 1 when he says, I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's testifying as a basis of what he's inviting the whole church into through the rest of the book. He's actually saying, me, a murderer of Christians, I held the coats of those who killed Stephen. I'm an apostle of Christ because of Jesus, not because anybody thought I was great. I'm an apostle of Christ because of Jesus. He's testifying. If, you, if your flesh hears this as, oh, he's telling them who he is so they'll listen to him. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I'm in this place. It's crazy, but you could be here too. And then he starts telling them all the reasons that he's confident that he's an apostle of Christ. Do you know he was an apostle by faith, by grace? Not because he went to school, not because he had the degree, not because people adored him. They hated him. He was an apostle by faith. Do you know how hard it would be to be Paul writing letters to churches? You'd have to do that in faith. He didn't have a bunch of people being like, yeah, Paul, we've searched it out, and like all the prophets agree, you were going to do that rebellion and kill those, you know, try to kill those Christians, and then you were going to be an apostle. No. He actually had to feel forgiven by faith. He had to respond to the Lord by faith. He had to believe he was an apostle by faith. And so don't let your flesh tell you the wrong thing about these words. 
He actually, God's looking for people that in faith know who they are. Not, not by the confidence of a group of people telling you who you are. It's very frustrating when people don't recognize who you are, and I didn't learn this in a book. It's very frustrating because, and the reason it's frustrating is because you don't actually have faith in who you are. You need other people to validate you. And I've been dealing with this problem for my entire ministry. But God is calling us up to just say, I am what I am by the grace of God, not to hold you down, to lift me up, to come up to where he's at. Because that's the only way you can actually operate anointed. And everybody in this room should have a ministry, and it should be an anointed ministry so that people can get a witness of you getting things from God that you don't deserve, right? That's what Paul's really saying. So the flesh preserves earthly position, which is really earthly authority, wealth, strength, ability, and opportunity. When we read those words, it's very tempting to read them down here. Yeah, I want to, I want to be an apostle like Paul too. But that's not what he's doing. He's actually saying, let that go. You can be just like me is what he's saying, okay? Paul's appealing to Ephesus to let that go and step into the destiny of eternal life. You cannot have both life here and eternal life. You have to pick. Now, Alia, the Holy Spirit had Alia sing these exact words to our congregation. She did not see these notes. She sang them. This is what the Holy Spirit sang to you. You cannot both have life here and eternal life. You have to pick. You have to. For us, for Samantha and I, I'll just testify, I only know our story. Our choice is to leave our home and leave our kids and go live in a 450-square-foot apartment in a very busy city where I don't like cities, and Sam doesn't like being away from her kids. We have to walk away from work. Now, I've been told that's going to happen for over 10 years, but I could never make that happen. It had to be God's idea how it happened. But when it was God's idea, I had to make a choice. Now, this is a pattern we should all be experiencing at some place in our lives. This isn't just like, oh, God, you know, pick that special little cute couple because she makes nice earrings, and they, he did that with her. This is, every, this is what Paul's saying. Everybody should be walking in this. Everybody should have something God's calling us to that's costing us something and killing our life here and calling us into the new thing. What is yours? And if you don't know, that's priority number one. What are you calling me to? Why don't I live there with you? God, I need this. Not, I'm going to grip my teeth and find something to give away, find some way to tank my job. That's not what I'm saying. And the beauty is, now when I started to imagine what this would look like when we, when we first left, I thought, I'll come back and I won't have any work. The truth is, I came back to a bunch of work. That's irrational to me. I don't understand it. But that doesn't surprise God. That's a, just a whole different challenge, to be honest with you. Because now I'm like, what is it? And he's like, it's today, you coming up, looking at my beauty, gazing on me. Is this where your life is? If it is, then it doesn't matter if you work today or not. And if I want you to work, you work. And if I don't, you don't. Why do you have to iron it all out and say what it is? Well, I'll tell you why, because I want to tell other people what I'm doing. I want other people not think I'm a nut. I want my kids to know I love them. I want my mom to know I'm not reckless. But no one on the earth would ever get a witness of faith if people didn't just stop caring about that and live there. Do you see what I'm saying? We've got to do this. So Jesus says this, Matthew 16, 24 to 27. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what profit is it to a man? Now, you've heard these words. I bet you've heard them a thousand times. But in your heart, you say, yeah, someday. I want to tell you today's the day. Today's the day. That's not a Sunday thing. That's like Peter being like, I'm ready to die with you, Jesus, someday. And hours later, a little girl asked him if he knew Jesus, and he said no. He's calling all, this is not for special people. He's calling, he's been calling you. In some areas that he wants you to die to, he's been calling you for literally 20, 30 years. I hear him saying this in my ear right now. 20, 30 years I've been telling you, stop worrying about that. Stop trying to keep that. Stop trying to make that right. Stop trying to cover that over. Stop trying to make sense out of that. Stop trying to make a legacy make sense out of sin. And some sin was done to you and it broke you. And you're still carrying the scraps of it, trying to make sense of it. Don't. Throw it on the wheel. Let him remake it. Lose it. Let it go. It doesn't have to make sense to you. It makes sense to him. It makes sense to him. If you want that freedom, stand with me. Prayer is the, the response of the faith-filled, and that's the last part of Ephesians. Is Paul says, because this is all true, what I just told you, because that's all true, I don't stop praying for you. And I'm going to pray this prayer. This is, an, this is what's called an apostolic prayer over you. Can you receive it? Don't bring it down here. Can you come up to it? Okay, I just want you to hear these words. Therefore, verse 15, Ephesians 1.15, I also... Now, when he says, I also, it means I'm not the only one praying this. Who else is praying this? Jesus. He's interceding for you in this area. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Raise your hands. Wisdom and revelation, if you want it, raise your hands. In the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality. Satan is falling underneath you if you believe this. If you go up, he's actually being put under your feet as you go up. Above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. That's you. You are Christ in this way. If you go up with him, Holy Spirit in this room, fire on our thinking, fire on our eyes. God, fire where the enemy is telling us everything is going to be lost. Burn it up, God. Burn it up. Revelation, wisdom. These are holy words I'm declaring over you. These aren't pastor words. These aren't church words. These are heaven words. Wisdom, revelation, knowledge of the holy, the knowledge of your inheritance in us, Jesus. What you get when we give ourselves to you. The beauty of the body of Yeshua. Take us up, God. Take us up. Make us a new creation. A new creation. I bind the lie that you got to clean something up that you already have. I bind that lie. That is a lie from hell. Let it go. God, make us a new creation. Make us witnesses in our families, in this church. Make us witnesses. 
in the city of Kalamazoo, make us witnesses in the nations for Israel. God, make us witnesses for Israel, the people that die to this life. They're trying to hold on to that land. Make us witnesses. It's not worth holding on to. It's not worth holding on to the history of Israel. Hang on to the God of Israel. It's not worth hanging on to the history of you. Hang on to the God of you. The God of you. The God of you. I'm just, he's having me declare it over you. He's releasing it. There's angels in this room. The God of you. They're putting it right into your heart if you want it. The God of you. Don't hang on to the history of you. Don't try to make sense of your life. The God of you. You're not even born yet. You're an embryo. You're in the womb. The God of you. The God of you. God, come down on this room right now with your glory. Freedom. I declare freedom to you. You don't have to explain it all away. Freedom to you. Freedom. More, God, more. I just see flames resting on our heads. God, send wind right now. Send wind. A fresh wind. There's always a new day. There's always a day to say yes. There's always a day to enter into the rest. Don't explain this one away. Don't explain this one away. Just go in. He made you because he likes you. He made you because he knew you'd be here. He will never let you fall. You are predestined to greatness if you'll just go there. It's guaranteed. You will be good if you go there. You can't get, be good to go there. You will be good if you go there. Ali and Steph, you want to come back up? Let's just stay here for a second. Let's just stay in this fire. This isn't a do message. It's a receive message. If you don't know how to get there, tell him, where can I find you, God? Get to bed. Stop going to the city. Where can I find you, God? Why am I disappointed? Why am I sad? Why am I mad? I got it made. Every spiritual blessing is mine. He seated me in the heavens with his son. I got it made. It's okay. It's okay. God, release comfort. I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for the, you're the comforter. Right in this room right now, I just see him coming down like snow, just white snow. You're the comforter, God. Brought your presence. So oh. 
side of something I want to pray um, for anyone who's who's still on this side of a thing um, so Lord I'm asking that um, that we're today we're just we're we're willing we're ready to come up with you we can feel it we, we feel the spirit on Tom's words I'm just asking Lord would you would you remind us of these feelings when it gets hard um, when we do that and the, you know, physical attacks on our body come or the mental attacks come from the enemy, the doubt tries to creep in. Lord, I'm asking, would you remind us of, of what it felt like to, to be here right now, of why we agreed with you in the first place that this sacrifice was, was worth it, that it was beyond worth it. And so we took that step forward. But Lord, now we fell down and our knees are skinned and our elbows are bruised. Lord, would you give us the courage and the hope to get back up and ask you to to just get us walking again? Lord, this is my testimony that I fell down hard but you picked me back up with grace, hope, and love. So, Lord, I'm asking, would you, um, would you just solidify in our hearts right now? Would you give us a word that, that reminds us of your commitment to us, of that predestination that you put in us? Lord, we're going to need it more then we even need it today. So I'm, I'm asking for it. In Jesus' name.
God, I just repent of my desire to look responsible, Lord. I just ask that you would forgive me and that I would just have the fear of the Lord. I repent for operating out of a spirit of the fear of man, God. Um, I just ask that you would forgive me for the times that you've called me to do something and I've said, I'll look silly for a month, I'll look silly for a year, but I want to be justified before man, Lord. I want, um, I want people to look at my decisions and say, well, it looked silly at the time, but in the long run, he made the right one, God. Um, I don't want to care. I don't, I do care, but I don't want to care, Lord. Um, I just ask that I would be okay with not even being justified before man in my lifetime, Lord. I just want to be justified before you, God. I ask that I would be um, faithful and not responsible, Lord. I just ask that you would lead me in Jesus' name. Out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And Lord, um, I just want to repent that I, for how much time I have spent asking you for vision for things that are meant to pass away, that were meant to be temporary. And then um, accusing you of not giving me vision of um, feeling like you were withholding because I'm asking for vision for the entirely wrong things. Lord, would you help me see? Help me see the temporary things for what they are. Help me see the things that are eternal for what they are. Help me to set my vision higher. Help me to um, just sit at your feet and listen. Tell me what you have vision for, and let that be my vision, Lord.
specific that I've been kind of, I don't know, headbutting with him um, for a long time during the message and flipped it like one of those images that's one thing and you stare at it and then at some point it, it turns into something entirely different. And, um, and I just feel like the Spirit was saying that, that that's available for all of us and to pray it out over us. I think there's more things he wants to do that for me, but I'm sure that some of you have something that you have been like asking him about and what it's going to take is that complete reversal so that you see it entirely differently. So Lord, would you, would you do that by your spirit? It's something we can, we can spend hours, days, months looking at a thing and see nothing different until you say, this is what you're actually looking at. And then it entirely changes. And I thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you did not leave us alone. Jesus, when you went, that you did give us the wisdom of all of heaven resident inside us to, to change in a moment the thing we've been just frustrated by for so long. Would you do it for all of us? About a year ago, uh, somebody um, just said something to me about um, just kind of the glories of prayer and uh, resisting the enemy. And she's kind of outside of my normal circle of people. And um, and f so for some reason, I was able to receive it, I think, because her voice is a little different. Um, and... And, and I felt the Lord convict me about how little I resist, resist the enemy. And so for about a year, um, I, it's like the Lord's just been growing that and the promise that if you resist um, the devil, he'll flee. And, um, and he's just been growing that in my heart. And then um, just recently, um, I was for like just literally the millionth time just caught in my head in a conversation with the Lord and it's just like it's not going anywhere um, and I'm like so tired of it God like just so tired of having these conversations with the Lord that are just like they're not going anywhere specifically where there's any kind of conflict with other people and because I'm just trying to like 
puzzle it out with the Lord and like, where am I wrong? Where are they wrong? And like, what did I do? What did they do? What is like all this stuff? And, um, and he just like, after almost a year, he just reminded me to resist the enemy. And I'm like, okay, what's the enemy right now? Cause I'm this, I could die. This is the most exhausting conversation. I'm so tired of having it. I'm so tired of having it. And he said, just tell blame to leave. Tell accusation to go. And I did, and I felt some freedom. And I felt quiet. And um, and so I just was like, okay. I will take that. And um, over like maybe a week, just I just kept. And then, and then there was just like a day where it, like it, it's like I could feel it quit bugging me, like like praying for healing. And then somebody gets healed, like, and I felt that inside of me. And I just was mourning how much, like, conflict and how many conversations I thought I was having with God that I was having it with demons. And, um, and so much futility and so little peace. And so I just want to praise God and, um, just for freedom and, um, just better is one day of freedom than a thousand of torment and so I just want to say what I feel like he's telling me to say is if you are having conversations with the Lord that feel tormented and they feel chaotic you might not be talking to God even though you're saying his name and even though you're trying to talk to him And so, Lord, I just pray freedom for my brothers and sisters if this is happening to them too, Lord, if they're having conversations with demons, God, anywhere we're doing that. And we think that we're talking to you and it really was our intention to talk to you, God. That we would humble ourselves and just say better is one day of freedom than being right for another minute. And, Lord, um... I just pray for freedom in Jesus' covers a multitude of sin and if we never let anything go we will never get to him he says let it go don't hold on don't hold on 
Stephanie was singing earlier, um, lift our vision higher till we see you, Lord. I was just imagining, um, I was imagining um, Noah in this ark and just like the years that it took him to build it and just the ridicule that he received and just feeling misunderstood and alone. And um, But you, you laid out, uh, he, the Lord laid out the specifics um, about what it was to look like, like every step in the way about how to build that thing. And he had to have a picture in his mind, you know. And so it just made me think about <clears throat> this whole thing about lifting our vision higher until we see you, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray just like you gave Noah the vision. Um, 
in the midst of a bunch of ugly circumstances, being misunderstood, being ridiculed, being taunted, tormented, probably having his own family wonder, all right, I see I see good fruit in your life, Dad, but <laughs> this is pretty, pretty out there. Um, and yet he just kept moving forward with you in faith um, for years, building this ark of, uh, you know, daily sacrifice. Had, it was a daily choice to, to build this ark for this future that um, God revealed to him. And so, Lord, I just pray for that same thing. I pray for the vision that Noah had, that each of us, you're, you're, you've got this, you're, you're preparing us for heaven um, to meet you because you're going to bring heaven down. And Lord, I just pray, Heavenly Father, for the, the part that you've got us building, the place on the wall that we are, the thing that you've called each of us to, that we would have a clear vision for that so that it would enable us to just get above the mire, the challenges, the frustration, like all of that, all of that um, noise from the enemy, like as Jen was talking about, Lord, we just pray for clear vision for heaven and our responding by giving you our yes in preparation for that time. In Jesus' name, amen. like we're drowning and holding on to an anchor and asking him to bring us air and he's saying let go of the anchor and let me take you above the water it's so much easier to let go so 
Father, help us let go to see it rightly, to understand the things that we're trying to fix, that we're trying to take responsibility for even, that are holding us down when you're calling us up into the heavenly places now. If you're not holding on, you'll float if you're not holding on. You will float if you're not holding on. You'll float if you're not holding on. All of this is just weighing you. So let go and rise with me. Oh, all this is just weighing you down. So let go and rise with me. I just felt like um, there's this uh, thing in the heart that he wanted me to share that when you sing something like that, your brain starts to think, well, if I let go of that, it won't take care of itself. That really would be unloving. And the Lord just says, you have to do this in faith, but you're in the world, not of it. He says, those things, they, they will keep you. <laughs> You're not going to become so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good because the earth is constantly telling you what it needs. He's like, you don't have to worry that you're going to be irresponsible to the point of not responsible. He says, it's just that that's stealing you from me. He says, if you come up to where I am, he said, I care about your world more than you do. You can trust me. So God, I just pray right now, just where we're trying to think logic this out and decide if it's good or bad. I was just to know if it's your word, if it's what you're saying, and do it in Jesus' name. Just let go, just let go, just let go of your worries. They're keeping you here. They're keeping you here. Just let go. Just let go, just let go of your worries. They're keeping you here. They're keeping you here. It's the anger that you're holding. It's all your worries. So just let go. That's the anger. That you're holding it's your worries so just let go
so I felt like God wanted me to share this. I was counseling a really good friend um, earlier this week, and he was telling me that doctors had prescribed him anti-anxiety medicine, and he's been letting the prescription sit for like a month because he's like, I need the anxiety. It actually helps me perform. And I said, I don't know what God's telling you to do, but anxiety is not your friend. And he just, the Lord just said, that's in this room right now. There's some thought, like my worry, my fear, my anxiety, that's what keeps me from messing up. That's not what keeps you from messing up. God is what keeps your life. So Lord, right now, freedom. I just bind anxiety in its lies in Jesus' name. I bind fear in the name of Jesus. Bind doubt in Jesus' name and worry. In Je- oh, I just felt a wind. Holy Spirit. Pour it out, God. I, I felt the air conditioner, but I felt a spiritual wind. Holy Spirit, pour it out. Pour out freedom in this room. Worry is not your friend. Anxiety is not helping you. It doesn't keep you sharp. It's dulling you. Yeah, and just with um, Abigail's vision, I was also... Um, seeing um, like we're holding on to the anchor but there's a bunch of other people holding on to the anchor and some of us are still holding on because someone we care about is still holding on but they don't even know that it's an option to let go until you let go and come up So, God, I just ask um, that we wouldn't try and save people by our own strength, um, that we would be an example of people who believe that you are the only one who can save, Lord. I just ask um, that that would be how we save people, just by being an example of how to be saved by you. In Jesus' name. I would like to convince my coworker of. Um, 
and he just brought that to mind right now. Um, if you are having conversations with anybody in your head, you're not having a conversation with that person. So um, I just want to offer this as a way out of that cycle is to recognize that there is an unclean spirit behind that and tell it go away instead of having those conversations with it. See you. 